Hello and welcome to episode 215 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. And uh, just before we get started, Canadian Nationals is in the final stages. Actually, a couple of the finals have just uh, concluded, uh, one of those of which is uh, the over 40s. And uh, that title went to none other than uh, my old friend, uh, Matt Bishop from Halifax, Nova Scotia. I just want to congratulate him on another Nationals uh, championship. Uh, it's got to be four or five for him now uh, at least uh, also dating back to when he was a junior so well done uh, Matt Bishop huge huge congrats to you uh, but the big final uh, on the men's side uh David uh, Bayarjan and uh, Sean Delier, a repeat of the, the last final, and that's going to be, uh, it'll be fantastic. Uh, Sean, I think, is in his 40s now, uh, 39 or 40 years old, and still uh, raising his game to get to the final and looking to pick up his third national title, and David's looking to pick up his second and then on the women's side, uh, we have Holly Naughton in the final, and uh, she'll be playing against Nicole Bunyan. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I saw in the semifinal, Nicole and Danielle were tied at uh, nine all or something in the first game, and uh, Danielle Letourneau had to retire. I'm not sure uh, what happened in that situation. Uh, I haven't heard yet, but uh, anyways, I hope she's okay. I hope Danielle's okay. But uh, anyways, uh, it's the final between Holly and Nicole, uh, and it'll be a first for Nicole if she can pick this one up and Holly I believe has at least I know she has at least one uh, if not two uh, so it'll be uh, yeah an interesting final on both sides uh, the men's and the women's sides there at the Canadian Nationals uh, which is going on in Vancouver right now but today on episode uh, 215 really really delighted to have on Whale El Hindi uh, one of my favorite players from back during the uh, the Johnny White, the Darwish, uh, Palmer Power, Nickel, that that uh, gender, the Linku era. And as I mentioned, uh, he reached to world number eight, but he's uh, had very, he's had a lot of success against all the world number ones. And uh, anyways, he comes on today to talk about uh, a lot of things. He's been working uh, a lot with uh, Amanda Sobe and Diego Elias, and he was there at the world championships. You might, if you've been, if you watch Squash TV, you saw him at both Diego and Amanda's uh, match is there and um, yeah he comes on to talk about uh, his experience at the world teams and their performances uh, we talked quite a bit about the program pro game uh, there was uh, quite a bit of drama over the last uh, month or so in terms of officiating and uh, lets and strokes and he gives a uh, a very very insightful take on that and we also talk a bit about the the coaching that been going on uh, allegedly uh, between games and where referees have been giving uh, warnings to players for not receiving coaching well he has his take on that as well I asked him about that and he gives another insightful response to that and of course I, I we talk quite a bit about his playing days uh, which were quite impressive and led to uh, him reaching world number eight uh, and also 2011 world team championship with uh, Egypt but uh, we talk about his playing days and uh, how he feels now looking back on his career he also uh, during uh, his his prime I guess during the the period where he was playing his best squash he tells the story of how Jonah Barrington had such a positive impact on his career uh, and then also uh, we have a very interesting we close the the discussion with an interesting uh, 
chat about paddle and pickleball and, and their growth as compared to uh, you know what's happening with squash and what needs to be done. Uh, Whale uh, at his club where he's coaching now, uh, the club that he's running, uh, they have tennis, I think pickle, paddle, and squash. So I thought I'd get uh, his insight on that and what he has to say. Offer some real practical insight on what squash really needs to do in order to start growing the game again uh, what we can learn from sports like paddle and pickle and uh, whale has a first-hand knowledge on this so we get to talking about that really enjoyed this chat with whale l hindi uh, it was a fantastic moment for me again because uh, you know him being one of those players that i really followed quite a bit he was always a contender always a threat and now he's uh, in the coaching game and uh coaching the likes of uh, Amanda and Die- Amanda Sobe and Diego Elias and he brings all of that to the table here and much much more on episode 215. Hi Gary how are you? Hey how are you? Thanks how's everything? Uh, everything's great man everything's great good to see you I saw you uh, a little bit there at the world championships on squash tv so uh, as the as the coach to a few of the players there you were Right yeah, there, front and center. So how, how are things in, uh, are you in Palm Beach uh, right now? Or? I am in Florida. It's not, it's quite close to Palm Beach. It's a Palm town Beach. called Boynton Beach. Okay. Uh, it's about 15 minutes away from uh, from Palm Beach. Okay. And how, how's life uh, treating you there? Nice. It's pretty nice. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of work because it's just a startup program. So, but it's just nice to come out of the club and see palm trees and sun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you come from a, a warmer climate over there in Egypt, so uh, I guess uh, it must be not, sort of a easier transition than maybe to move to Boston or uh, Philadelphia or something where it's freezing cold. Yeah, well, I live in New York, so I ran a program in New York for about 10 years. All right. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty cold. But, it's you know, the weather doesn't really bother as much as, you know, we spent, we're, we're busy all day anyways. It doesn't matter, but it just it's it's nice. For my family and i guess it's uh it's just good for for an athlete's body to be honest with you like the more the more there is heat on your body i think the better it is to mobilize it because sometimes during the winter it's hard for you to get motivated and and kind of you know kind of go through that for a long period of time it's good to have it for small short phases because it toughens you up the cold is pretty tough mm. to train on but i don't think for an athlete uh, especially for a fast sport like squash that demands a lot of mobility and and change of direction, I think it's just uh, it's better to be living in a in a warmer conditions. I would say. Yeah, for sure, uh, it, it uh, reduces the amount of warm up time, uh, especially for the older uh, older people who who play like myself. Uh, it all uh, it just takes forever to get warmed up, and then uh, by that time you're 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 tired before you even. Yeah. Play. I mean, the, the, the <laughs> The warm-up is still has to be done. The warm-up is a warm-up, whether you're cold, whether you're warm. But uh, but I would just say it's the aftermath because, you know, a lot of a lot of players, after they finish playing, they just, you know, they get in the outside, they get in the car, they get, you know, whatever the AC is on or whatever, you know, they get out of, from just from the parking to the car. And if it's just cold, your body seizes up pretty, pretty hard. And then to activate that and go stretch again, you just need to kind of warm up again to stretch. You see what mm. I'm saying? So, like, yeah. it's kind of a not. It, we build a lot of bad habits through the years as athletes. You know, we learn how to cheat very well. 
So sometimes it's uh, when you finish a, a match or you finish something, you're always kind of like wanna wanna get going, but you don't see a lot of uh, a lot of the players do a lot of the you know the cool down and 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 taking care of their body after the specifically if they lose and and, and that's yeah. the one that's the one thing I really always try to be a lot more paying attention to with the athletes. I'm like if you lose. You know, it doesn't matter. You lost today, but you don't want to continue to lose your body too. So I lost the match. I don't want to lose the body because your body's gonna not gonna give up. You know, it depends on the next match. You got to think about this next week. There's another tournament. The week after, there's another. You know, if you play on Tuesday, even at a recreational side, if mm. you play on Tuesday, you got to play on Thursday because you you, you can tell that it's so many times. Even for the adult squash side, you're seeing that. Um, People like you say yourself, for example, I'll say, uh, let's play Gary and I, let's play on Tuesday. And then we play on Tuesday and then we say, okay, I'll, I'll see you on Thursday. Then we'll play on Thursday morning too. Then yeah. on one night you get a message saying, oh, Gary, I can't play. My buddy's hurting too much. You know oh, what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, that, uh, when you reach a certain age, you've got to really pay attention uh, to that stuff. Otherwise you, you won't be able to back up. Well, we, for a 50 year old or back up to play in another two days, you need to be able to yeah, back, yeah. back it up. <laughs> yeah. about it. You're, in, you're in Abu Dhabi or Dubai? Uh, I'm actually near Dubai. I live in uh, Ras Al Khaimah, which is uh, the Northern Emirate. Uh, it's about 45 minutes from Dubai. That's basically, it's not that far. Um, but yeah, I've been here I since. Know, I know Ras Al Khaimah. I spend, a, I spend quite oh, really? a time in Dubai actually, because my family, uh, moved there um they just my mom and my sister just moved back but they've been there for the last seven years my brother is actually in abu dhabi oh okay okay i spend a lot i used to spend a lot of time in dubai um uh even sometimes there's a couple of years that i took a few players and we trained there oh cool where where did you train which uh which venue Dubai uh, iraqi guy uh his name was Ahmed, oh, Ahmed Karimli. Yeah. He yeah, got yeah, us, yeah. I texted him and he got us some courts uh, the first time. And the next time I uh, I trained in Nadi Sheba, which is, uh, I think it's uh, the Prince's uh, club. Has, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a beautiful club, man. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of really, uh, there are a lot of great venues in, in Dubai. Some amazing uh, uh, venues there. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, I, of quite a lot of players it's just uh it's untapped market for some reason it's just uh it's, an un it's a really unusual setting dubai i mean i they have uh i played when i first came here i played at in the in the high in the premier they called it the premier league and we got to play in all these venues and uh, a lot of good players from all over the world egypt uh, south africa ireland australia uh, from everywhere uh but uh now it just seems to have died off and um, there's really no, not, no one around to organize anything. And I, I'm not really sure why, especially in a place like, like the UAE or, or Dubai and Abu Dhabi, where, where there are so many courts and a lot of very good players. There's some great coaches around. Uh, one from Egypt, actually, a young lady by the name of uh, Kansi. Right? Yeah, she's around and she's doing really good work. And uh, Adil Makul, who used to play on the tour, he's a... He's a great, yeah. uh, great coach. Him and his father. Yeah, he's a good yeah. guy. Yeah, you know him. Yeah, but uh, but while I, I just first uh, uh, really want to thank you for doing this. Uh, I think I mentioned in the email that I was a huge fan of yours. 
um, Canadian. So uh, I know Jonathan Power a little bit. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously you played against him. Uh, I think he you might have he might have been one generation before you. Yeah, I caught him in the, in the end. But, you know, obviously I had the play to play with him and uh, and that whole era, you know, Graham writing and uh, and yeah. Jonathan, John Sher and Barada. This was like a, 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 an age, I would say, you know, an epic era. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And then, then yours came along, and that, that was equally, uh, I mean, so many uh, talented players, including yourself. You got, uh, of course, a guy, uh, your brother, Kareem Darwish there, uh, 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 Shabana, all the guys, Johnny White, every, everybody. It was a great time. But uh, just to, to talk a little bit, I'd like to talk a bit about your career, but also a bit about your coaching. You just got back from um, – uh, from Cairo, from from the World Championships, and uh, you had uh, Amanda there. Uh, you were you've been working with, and also Diego, who you've been working with a bit. Uh, so, and they both, uh, I thought, uh, in the World Championships, they both played. I thought very good squash. Uh, Amanda had uh, Noran real on the ropes. It looked it looked like you know, had she won that fourth game, it could have gone. Because I think Nor Noran sometimes she gets tight when things get close, uh, and and it got tight there. And uh, so we had her on the rope. I mean, she definitely she was she in a, a panicky moment, and uh, yeah. and and that fourth game could have, you know, the fourth game. I know both of them were kind of like started to get into that panicky mood, but but I think if if the start of the fifth, if we if Amanda would have won the fourth and she started the fifth pretty well. It, it would have changed differently the game as we saw yesterday with Hani Al Hamami as well. So, so yeah. it's, a, it's amazing. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I find. I mean, I, I've always been a fan of Amanda. She's been on the, the podcast, and she's got a really unique uh, skill set. Uh, she's got, you know, she volleys so well. She she uh, she has great hands. Uh, she's a lot of pace. Uh, she's deceptively her movements very deceptive. Doesn't look like she's that quick but she gets around the court uh, really well so just wondering what your thoughts uh, what your takeaways uh, from uh, that match uh, or from I guess that that event uh, for her and how is she because she's right there uh, how can she maybe get get to that the highest level I guess because she's right there so. well you know as you mentioned like we you know change you know playing to that Top three, top four level. It just it needs a little bit more of of a different skill level than usual with with the bottom kind of five and six behind her because they usually they don't get shook off pretty pretty easily. Like when you when you when you hit a couple of good shots, it doesn't really end the rally. Right. And and and. And the continuity of hitting good shots and, and becoming on the offensive side, I think, you know, she's got ahead of her. She's got Nur Sherbini, she's got Daniel Hamami, she's got Nurangor. So she's got three Egyptians ahead of her who are definitely on the attacking side 80% of the time versus 20% on defense. So playing them and trying to, you know, put them and take them one after the other, it will be. There will be no way to play them with fear. You're going to have to play them a lot more offensively, like what they do with each other. Like if you see Nuran versus Hamami versus, you know, versus Gohar, when they play each other, they go for it. They're going for it. They're going for it. They're playing with that mindset that they're not holding back. And I think that is the plan 
that we've been working on with Amanda and Diego, the same, you know, same, the same thing of just to mention him. Mm. He's obviously a great mover. He's very smooth on court. Yeah. He understands the game very well. He's had a lot of success very early, but at the same time, when you play the top guys, it's a nonstop offensive. And his game sometimes goes a little bit too passive when he starts hitting good shots, but not good enough to keep the pressure. It will be pressuring the opponents and then it will take the pressure off. Pressuring the opponent and then it will take the pressure off. But it's not a constant pressure because of the fear of him messing up or or making mistakes or, or you know, hitting the wrong shot instead of just going for it and, and you know, obviously with a little bit of balance, but once he had, and he puts himself in a very good position sometimes and you're like, oh, why did he get it to the back? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's really, you know, that's that's what we're trying to work on and just to get a lot more confident in, in just, you know, doing having more offensive and ball position, you know, than, than, than the opponents. It's like every other sport. When you watch soccer, which is, you know, football in, in England, they call it, you, you see yeah. the ball position. The ball position, whoever is offensively attacking, usually do you know kind of feel that they're going to score? Yeah. And it happens. And it's the same thing here is just, you know, putting the pressure, keeping the pressure, keeping the pressure on the opponents. I think that's what we're trying to, achieve with their game and uh, we've been somehow successfully so far and and I'm looking forward to obviously this offseason to uh, continue working with that ball. Yeah, I think uh, this year, anyways, Diego's really turned the corner uh, and he just, uh, he's had a couple of close battles against uh, Asal, obviously. Uh, and uh, yeah. Asal, uh, I mean, uh, you watched his match last night, obviously, uh, and uh, he was unbelievable, uh, I thought, last night. He just he any behavior. I never thought his behavior was ever that bad, but it, I mean, his movement and everything seemed to be pretty spot on. It was just a a great performance. But Diego's pretty close when they when they play. He he's got the I think the type of game that can give uh, us all trouble. But uh, what do you th- uh, maybe maybe uh, to overcome it mentally? It might be something. Yeah, it's it's interesting for Asal's game because a lot of people are trying to highlight his move. I, I I think to be honest with you, it just it, you know it's it's not it because we're comparing him to no one. It's hard to address it to the fact that you don't you know he doesn't move like other players. He's very very explosive. Mm. He plays the space very well, and it's just hard because most players are always trying to see this as an odd thing instead of seeing him as an independent as an independent player and then we have to deal with him as an independent player it's like dealing with Paul because he picks up all the shot he's physically fit yeah. so when you play him you mentally know that he's going to pick up all your shot yeah but the problem is is there's a bunch of players that do the same as Paul obviously he's not as well as him but in Asal case there's not a lot of players that take that much space there's not a lot of players that play smartly and 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 stop play too much because he's using it to his you know his benefit and and i I wouldn't call i wouldn't call it out all the time yes there's maybe a bunch of little things here and there that could be a little bit better but that's not how he really wins you know you can't block every ball you can't be dirty every shot. So, you know, 
and, and if he is doing it one or two times per game, that's still not 11 points. So there's still room for us to improve than just trying to point him out and say, well, he's the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like, it just – there's a little bit of balance on those. And as you can see yesterday, there was a lot of moments where he was playing, you know, good squash. He was moving great. He was playing well. And it's just – we always highlight when bad things happen. Yeah. And, and, and we're very good at that as human beings. But the problem is instead of saying, okay, well, he's, what is he good at and how can we stop it, right? And that's what I think the next phase for. And also think, you know, he's still the youngest guy out there. Yeah. He hasn't got to the point where he's defending. So that is also a bigger point that now for us to be prepared on, like I always tell you, like, you know, you're playing well, it's fine. He's staying with us. And, and, and now he's in the moment where he's just playing to rise. He's playing the underdog every match. Mm-hmm. And when he, when he gets to the top, things will start to shape up a little bit challenge, more challenging for him. And that will be the interesting part. Mm-hmm. So it's only going to get more interesting and exciting for us to compete with him because he's definitely a very smart player. He's definitely has a lot of tools that he uses to work on his side, but the pressure hasn't kicked in yet. So how he's going to handle that when he's in the top of the game, because he just won one major event in the U.S. Open, so two major events this season, great. He's competing on a higher level, always in the quarters and the semis, but he hasn't been the one to beat yet. Everybody's been focusing on Paul and Ali. And Shurbagi just started to penetrate. And Asal has been just, you know, the one that is just everybody watches for, but he's not really the one that wins every event. So when he's expected to win now, that will be the interesting part. And that's, I think, where we, you know, where Diego's game is going to start to shine because he just needs to, to be okay with that for now and just, you know, build on it and working on it. I think we had a great season. Mm. And, uh, and I think there's a lot more him to actually learn and do more which is pretty exciting uh for the next steps in the next few years for sure yeah i, I find out of most of the guys he uh, diego's able to impose he imposes his game uh, his offensive game in my opinion more so than than anyone else out there uh and he also seems to have a bit more respect for for us all than than most the, a lot of the other guys just in terms of the, the way he responds to the movement, so-called movement issues. He doesn't seem to have a, a problem with it. Uh, you know, it, it, it's part of the game. And if the ref doesn't see it, and if the, you know, I, you know, the, the match in the world championships was not as pretty as I wanted to be because it was still in, in, you know, it was still a massive block in, in Diego's head that you know, the guy plays differently. So it's hard to deal with it. But the more we play him, the more it's going to get, it's going to get easier and easier. Hmm. Well, he's, uh, you know, I mean, you guys are going to figure that out somehow, aren't you? I mean, he's different because he's so, he's so explosive and he, and he, like, it's not like he takes two or three, four steps to get to a ball. It's like one big lunge and he's covering half the court, you know. You need to get used that this is the type of player and you got to watch the tape and you got to understand what he does and you got to understand, you know, hey, this is, I can't change that and the ref can't change that and that's his game. We just have to play a game that will bother him. And that's really, 
that's really the idea behind strategy and the idea behind behind training is just to be able to adapt to different types of play and 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 he's different type of player you know it's like any Nadal in tennis Nadal plays different very physical game in tennis yeah. you know that the ball is going to always come back Djokovic the same thing and then players have to deal with that if you want to beat him yeah. you got to know you're going to be on the tennis court for four or five hours you ain't going to leave before that yeah. So it's the same for us all. You, you know he's going to take more space. You know there's going to be a lot of contact sometimes when the ball is loose. And you just have to learn. You know, you just have to do it. And, and you don't have to make it a problem. You just have to find a solution there and just eliminate it. That's all. Yeah, I think what we saw too, what we've seen with a guy like Paul Cole, he was kind of, you know, middle of sort of like Diego is now uh, a couple of years. Then he got got his confidence he just won a few a few events and then became world number one and now he's the man and, and you can see or, or Ali's number one now but uh, you you can just see in the way he's playing he's totally confident that he's going to win every time he gets on the court yeah he grew out of his shell and he, you know he still retweaks his game and he still understands that you know for Paul it's uh, I have a massive respect for the guy you know he came in he worked on his game a lot he continues to work he had a lot of less skill set than all the other guys. And he just managed to to find a way to beat everybody. And 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 to do that, it's pretty hard. And 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 the guy, to be honest with you, he's just doing a lot on his own in terms of getting himself understanding. He's living, he's to me, he lives it every day. He lives how to beat those guys every day. And you can see when he loses to one player. As much as he's broken, as much as he's, he can't wait to go back and find out why. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly that's what you were saying about talking about earlier. Uh, and yeah. when we, yeah, that's what when makes you lose, you 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 got to you got to go and and uh, you know address it. Don't uh, you know it's 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 the it's the best thing about the sport is is taking the loss as it's an exper- it's it's an experiment, and I need to know why I've done wrong. It's like you, know, you, you mix some stuff up and didn't work out and you just say, okay, well, I've done this and I've done that. Maybe I should have done this and this better. And then let's go again. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, now uh, you followed, you, you watched the Alguna event and, and you're, you're one of the top uh, professional coaches out there in the world right now. Uh, and there were a few uh, sort of, I would say issues that came up during the event kind of, a lot more drama in this one. There's the issue about the uh, the coaching between games. Uh, let's sort of officiating lets and strokes, and also uh, there was one more. Um, and it, yeah, basically lets and strokes, and, and it's kind of the the, um, of the coaching between games. I'm just wondering. There was before pre-COVID. There was coaching allowed yeah, uh, yeah. you know you were allowed to go there and talk to your player and now suddenly there 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 isn't and then I, just recently think, yeah what's your take think, on, on that yeah. i think listen it was it was a it was a phase of time and we had you know they've had to separate the coaching and make it a little bit more a little bit more understanding of the the guys have to learn how to play other without having to be coached between the games and sometimes the coaches were interfering a lot more than what it's supposed to be. And it was causing a lot of problems mm. having too many people around the player's area. You know, with COVID, we had to minimize, and I'm sure the PSC had to minimize the player's area, the people that are surrounding them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they've tried it, and I think it made it a little bit more 
it made it a little bit more excite, exciting for the players to be able to think on their own and kind of sit and kind of regroup and play. I am not opposing to this as much as just I feel like it sometimes favors some players versus the others in terms of, like, for example, when you're in Egypt and you're playing and then the coaching is, you know, people are yelling in Egyptian yeah, yeah. behind you saying things and, the, you know, the other players can't have that. Not saying that it's going to change a lot because actually it sometimes backfire and actually confuses more. But I, I feel like it's going to, this is just was a phase and I think the PSA is going to address it. It's probably going to go back to normality again when, when, when you can, you know, you can allow to coach again between the games and hmm. they will probably do it with a better set of rules then it will be still, you know, you've got probably a minute or something like that to just talk to your players and just, you have to leave the player alone. I always recommend that even as a coach, like if you have 90 seconds or you have two minutes, you got to give the player 30 seconds to digest. Can be just blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah, talking yeah. and talking. You know, I mean, the you, plan- you would know pretty well uh, when you were, when you were a player, uh, who did, who was typically in your corner and how did you, uh, how did you sort of react to that kind of? To be honest with you, we've had we've had some mainly when we traveled, we didn't have you know the money was not as great as you know as as it's supposed to be. So to fly a coach with us, it was always it was always a little bit of costly in terms of just trying to fly a physical. It was more important because you're trying to keep your body more intact than really have to know what to do in the middle of the game. Then the we were used to coach each other, so I used to roommate with Shavana most of the time. He would come help me between the games, and I'll do the same for him. Or Muhammad As, who was also one of my, you know, Darwish. We used to always kind of support each other on the tour and try to get information and advice from each other. If we're obviously not playing each other, uh, so that that was the the case then. Uh, now, because there's no more resources, a lot of more sponsorship in the sport. Players can, you know, can afford to fly with their physio and their coach. And I think it will happen. But as I said, like, it should be just a little bit more of a set guide rules on on what the coaching should be instead of just having it be yelling in the middle of the game all the time and becoming yeah. a little bit of a chaos. That doesn't really look so well for the sport. When you see the coach sitting, blah, 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 hand signals and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is to me, it's just nothing but just not great for the sport. So just there's a guidelines. Hey, you can talk to your player for a minute out of the two minutes that they got, and 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 just you know nicely and professionally. And if you obviously exceed the rules, then that you would not be allowed to go on the court. And I right. think, and I think that will keep it nice and tidy. And I'm I'm hope that the PSA will do that again, so we can actually start adjusting the little things here and there in the middle of the games because sometimes mm-hmm. the player need a little bit words of wisdom just you know something to eliminate this or eliminate that and try to add more of this and add more of that just a couple of pointers but nothing more than that i I believe in my mind and my coaching career is like more than three things that you give the player between games more than three comes a lot yeah yeah no exactly too much to process it's just three one one two three things tops more than that it just gets it gets sort of like when you when you play golf, right? If you got a swing thought, you get you should only have one, one or two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really yeah. it's really about one or two points, and yeah. and it's not that complicated. But sometimes people make it too complicated. You're like, do this and do that, and don't do that, and don't do this and do this. And I see it sometimes 
you know, a lot of coaches that, you know, sometimes they try to obviously help and do the best they can, they care a lot, but the emotional aspects gets in the middle of the business aspect and then it becomes a lot more, a lot more information that you actually need. Mm. And what about, uh, have you ever been, uh, I guess with this new phase where you're not allowed to coach, but have you ever been told not to, to coach in, in uh, like from the gallery? Uh, no, I haven't had, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't tried. I've, you know, I've been biting with the law and, you know, biting with the rules of this, of the PSA. I'm trying to keep it as professional as I can. Yeah. They, they're allowing us to coach the players on the days off and between the, after the, before the matches and after the matches, talk to them, which is great. And I think uh, it's, it, it's, it's very helpful for sure that a good transition. And I think once they let it in, as I said, like they, I'm sure they're going to, they're going to again, allow the coach again, but they will probably set a few, I'll be, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to set a few exact rules on how to coach. And I think it's going to help a lot from, 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 from our end as well. So uh, I, that's the phase that I'm looking for the next and see if, uh, if I can hopefully get a little bit more involved, which is, which is, I think it will just probably change a little bit of the confidence of the player between the games. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. A, a guy that, you know, trusts, you know, the players obviously trust you and the, you know, the, a little bit of comfort and give them, uh, you know, make them rest assured that things are, you know, going to go okay for them. Yeah. And the second point you're ending about the referees. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, it is, it is a very hard job to be a ref. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't want to, like, it, it is, every player thinks they're right. Yeah. And the problem is the game is getting so physically demanding right now. Players are so physically fit that they can pick every. The problem is the judgment of the judgment. Sometimes what I would say, the judgment of the referees gets a little cloudy based on their emotional stress. And it's a very stressful job to be on an empire of a two player playing on one box. You see in tennis, you got two of them away from each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Only watching the ball squash. You're watching the ball. You're watching the body position. You're watching the movement. So the ref has to be so engaged that it's very, very hard. And sometimes I believe that because of the referees refing so many matches and getting pre-stretched, they start to have different ideas of how it's like different ideas of how to ref. Obviously, I know there's a shortage of referees, but I'm saying that the player plays one match a day, but the ref sometimes ref three matches a day. Yeah. To me, it is equal stressful for the ref, but obviously not on the physical side, but on the mental side, the ref is almost playing. Yeah, yeah. You're engaged Absolutely. in the match mentally. And because you're engaged into it mentally, sometimes when the player starts to get emotionally interfered, you become the mediator. Yeah. So that takes a lot out of you and becomes a lot more, it clouds the judgment of the referee a little bit unintentionally. Mm. So that's when we see the decision starts to collapse between a match, between a decision. Like you sometimes see the same ball 
but then the decision is a let, and then suddenly it's a no let, or suddenly it's a let, and now this one is a stroke. It almost looks identical to us, but we are watching from the outside. We're not really engaged into the match. Right. Right, yeah. And I see myself sometimes doing that. Like every ball my player is playing, I almost want a decision to go my way. Yeah, yeah. You know, I believe my eyes see it that way, but that 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 might not be the truth. And sometimes when when the replays happen, is like you see it, you're like, hmm, I'm actually might be wrong. <clears throat> so the ref is just in a position where they can't be, I mean, now it 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 puts it puts him in a nicer position position because they can say a video, video referee and they can take the pressure off they're pressured on and give it to someone else yeah but i feel like from a ref standpoint they can't just do it every point and might as well you know they can basically not refing at all so it is they're sitting on a hot seat all the time and 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 it's so much easier for us to just sit and judge and say well they did this they did this they did that they did this <laughs> i just think it's something that the player should understand and some something that the player should respect a lot more. And yeah. and if I was in charge of that, I would be having a meeting between the players and the referees and try to have them all in one room to understand the ref is not your enemy. You're not the referee's enemy. We're all trying to work together. You have your judgment, they have theirs. And let's have the rules where everybody's got to respect each other's opinion, whether you think you're right, whether you don't, but that's what we have right now. And if we don't work together, we're going to make the sport look like these guys don't look. The worst thing you can do is look at an adult and try to make them feel like they're doing a bad job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it's hard. If you're refing my match, Gary, I, I have the power as a player to make you look bad. And you have the power to overpower me and get revenge with me and try to give me way more bad decisions. So yeah. if we, if you and I are working against each other, we can really hurt each other because I can hurt your ego and you can hurt my career. Yeah, I thought uh, the, lady, the lady who was officiating the... Uh... Sherbaggy Cole match, and I forget her name, but all, full respect to her. She did a great, I thought, a great job just handling the way that all unfolded. Uh, she didn't sort of go, you know, she didn't lose her temper. She was very patient and just, you know, did what she had to do, basically. Yeah, and she, you know, she tried to get, I understand from Sherbaggy's perspective, obviously he was frustrated with the call. I think he put her in a position of challenge and wanted her to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And 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 when you put a ref to that point, that's the point of no return. So we're the ref is a human being. And when you push me to the button to the point where I can't I feel like you're not backing off, I'm going to use my set of rules to make you back off. Yeah. No, it's like being stopped by a cop. You can cooperate with the cop or you can act tough and you're going to end up in handcuffs and go to jail. Right. And we can have the same situation with the same exact problem and one of them could end up with a warning and the other one could end up with you being in jail. Right. 
it depends how you react to it, right? So again, it goes to a point where just the players needs to understand this is a very tough job. The ref has no, the, the ref doesn't get on a plane, go into a tournament saying, mm, I can't wait to hurt someone's career. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah. they, they don't do that. Just going in there, they're trying to do their job. They're trying to have a good time. They're trying to see a different country. They're trying yeah. to make it a good experience. The players need to understand that. And, 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 and I know we disagree sometimes on a lot of things, but the best thing to do is we all work together and understand that everybody's trying to do the best of the job they can. And that's your judgment, not mine. We're different. You might see Gary, you might see the ball as a left, I might see it as a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you must uh, you must agree though, uh, back during your era, the 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 JP era and the in your era, uh, they've pro I think the officiating's made quite a few improvements just in terms of what a like what a stroke is and what a lead is and playing the ball. I mean, back back in your day, you a guy could be like two feet off of the ball and you put your racket up and you know you're you're probably thinking I'm gonna get a stroke here, right? Yeah, it was definitely different. And 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 the only I think the only differentiation that we did is we didn't have too many that many events. So you know being a good ref, you know, it helps a lot if you play. If you right. play the game, it helps a lot. Some of these referees have not played the game or maybe they play on a recreational site. So it's a different story when you don't play and you start to ref with a spam of months in the middle. You literally forget the rules between the two months because you need a refresher all the time. Yeah, yeah. See, the referees right now, it's a lot more high-quality refs because there's so many competitions back-to-back -back yeah. that they're actually practicing on the and it will only get better and better with more tournaments. Mm -hmm. The refs are trying to get familiar with the game, trying to get familiar with the movement. But we have to give them a little bit of a break because the guys are just want them to know, like, if you're going to give me a stroke in the next last tournament in the quarterfinal on this ball, you have to give me a stroke for this tournament when I needed it. Dude, it doesn't work that way. Like, you have to understand the referee's practicing. You don't know. Maybe he gave you a stroke and then he went in and reviewed the tape and understood that the stroke was wrong. So they're correcting it. Don't just compare it to the last match because, yes, in 2019, you gave me this stroke. So now it has to be a stroke. It, you got to give the – also, the ref is improving. You're improving your game. The ref is improving their game. So it doesn't matter if they make the call, whether it's not your favor or not. Again, they're doing the work. You're doing yours. Yeah, so, the, but definitely the referees have got a lot better. They're reviewed a lot of tape. They've got the reviews right now. They can double check. We, we never had that when we played. Yeah, have you it seen was, the website? Oh. The uh, the officiating. Uh, I think the PSA has this. Uh, you can get your certification on this uh, PSA officials website, and they've got all kinds of uh, videos of you know what a lead is, what a stroke is, and. Lots of they have a huge library of videos. Have you seen that, uh, John Mazzarella? Uh, I haven't seen it, but you, John ref me when I was playing, and 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 I'm telling you, he's a much better ref right now than he was. He's practiced a lot. In my days, it was cutthroat. It was like if you're bad in one match, forget it. It's like you're an inmate for the rest of the tournaments. It was so <laughs> hard for them to change your diet. If you're the bad guy, you're the bad guy. No matter what you've done, you had no second chances. 
now I feel like the players are, are really working with the, the referees are working so hard to improve themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not holding grudges. They're yeah. moving on. Yes, there's a couple of warnings and a couple of players, and I know there's a couple, but they're still they're still making it happen. And yeah. and I know Drew, I think he's the one responsible for the referees in in, in tournaments sometimes, and in and with John Mazzarella and a couple of other old, you know guys that have been there for a while. But they're doing a good job, man. It's a hard job to do. Yeah. No, I, think so, they have, I think they are too. I think I mean the the changes that they've made and you know you know getting players to play to play the ball and to you know yeah you know not fishing for strokes uh, all that stuff has really improved a lot. Again, if you calculate if you calculate the the amount of good calls they make versus the amount of bad calls they make, the percentage of good calls are really up there. Yeah. So we only highlight on the bad call, forgetting that I don't. Know, it's it's always the case. Players will argue that all day and tell you, yeah, but you know, he gave me that at nine all at the point. Well, when you're at four three, he gave you a couple of points too. You know what I mean? Oh, so those don't exist because you obviously don't you forgot about those. You only remember the one you live with, you know. And I always tell my players, if you're gonna wait for a call to make you win the game, you don't deserve to win the game. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now, no. well, I know you, uh, you've been great with your time and uh, I don't want to spend so much time. I also want to talk about uh, uh, your uh, playing career, if you don't mind. Uh, I mean, you got to world number eight, uh, you won the U S open a uh, big win there. Uh, you won the world team championship with the, as a member of Egypt back before the, the craziness of Egypt dominating. So, I mean, that was kind of the, the beginning of that, I think maybe, but uh, you know, looking back uh, at all of that, uh, you know, what, what would you say was the, the highlight uh, or one of some of the highlights of your career? That's what I, I, I would identify, but uh, how about you? You know, the one thing I really, I really know that if I would go back in time, I think I would I would have expected a little bit more from myself, I would say. And that's why I'm pushing so hard on the coaching side to try to be the best I can be. Because I never had the guidance that the players would have right now in terms of coaching, in terms of crowd, in terms of supporter, in terms of sponsors. We never had someone to guide us and say, maybe you should do that. Maybe you should do this. And, and and the one thing that I really appreciate about it is, you know, when when I when I got to whatever I got to in, in the world, it was almost trying to it's almost an effort of just trying to figure things out in life and, and trying to figure out what works for you in terms of a formula, in terms of uh, training. Definitely it was it was a lot of more competitiveness at that time with a lot of great players at this era. Yeah. And, uh, and at that time, level, anyone in the top 10 could win, right? It was like yeah. it was crazy. The level was pretty high. We weren't as physical as now these guys, but we were a lot more squash driven, shot selection driven than now for sure. Uh, the game was a slightly a little slower than now. It's too much now. Was, was now it's actually curving back down to where it was. Because at some point it turns into too much physicality that the players would not, the quality of the squash was not great. Right. Everybody would squack in the ball, it was too much fast pace. And now it starts to people start to chip the ball again, to lift again. You can see a lot of more drive, you know, soft balls. 
Yeah. So now it's going back again to people trying to improve their skill, which I like to see a lot, and it makes yeah, yeah. me more happy and interesting. I like those long those backhand rallies up and down. Uh, it, it, there's nothing better to watch if you're a squash uh, enthusiast. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so, as I said, from my days, I'm I was I was only happy that I just try to beat with these you know obviously great players and try to push them and try to beat them sometimes and try to you know penetrate my way through it and uh, and it, we were just setting up the road for the for what's happening right now and, and it's just uh, I would have liked to be a lot more consistently up in the top four because I've beaten in most of them not all of them and uh, and I just have liked a little bit more consistency for myself in terms of pushing myself to try to work hard for the whole year round I was always type of a a, 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 you know, do this for this time, do this for that time, do this for this time. And that's why I always try to, you know, advise the players and be like, almost don't be like me. You know, I've worked for two months and, and then I, I got success and then I celebrated and then I forgot that I have another event. And yeah, yeah. and it was always, it was always a choppy ride that almost hanging made out with it, JP too much. Yeah. It almost made it like, a, like it's, 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 you punish yourself to work again to get better. Yeah. And it, it is very hard to become bland and just doing the same thing every day. And, and, I, and I call this now, obviously, running a business and coaching is discipline, right? Is waking up every day, the same thing and be okay with that. And a lot of, a lot of players lack discipline. And, and it's so much easier as an athlete, especially when you do well, to continue to wake up and saying, okay, what am I going to do now? Like imagine a guy like Asal winning yesterday, all these emotions, all the family, all the people, all friends, a girlfriend, if you're obviously European and you're, or you're, you know, from North America and you have a, you know, you have a girl or you're single and you're going out partying and you're like trying to celebrate. And then you have to wake up the next day and say, okay, I've got another event in two weeks. Let me prepare. You know, it's the hardest thing to do. And a lot of people don't think about it because everybody's like, oh, he played great. You won the tournament. You don't, as a player, you don't feel the same because you feel great with every high emotions and, high, you know, reward. It comes low disappointment because you you wake up the next day, you're like, oh, shit. oh I got another one in two weeks. My yeah. body's banged up. I can't. I'm going to get a physio treatment and then I got to get my head ready again. Because now these guys want a piece of me, you know. Yeah, that's the hardest part. And 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 I, I failed to do this for a long time during my career. That's why I should have expected a lot more for myself. Instead of, instead of just trying to be a lot more disciplined and consistent on the amount of time of work that I have to do after after a good result or after a loss or after this, and just to try to come back and work again and work again and work again. I thought in my days that this was not fun and it wasn't, but I wouldn't accept it. I wanted to have the best of both worlds. So I am very lucky and fortunate to be able to have fun and play a high level at the same time. Yeah. But now I understand it because I have, you know, I'm, 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 I'm running a new program and running a club and I'm running a business and I'm coaching a lot of players. And I know that now this is the hardest thing. So I'm trying to always, Tell myself, hey, you can always make it up to yourself in the next era, you know. But if I would go back on time, I would definitely to tell your uh, tell you know tell your students or tell tell your definitely, yeah. yeah, if I go back on time, I'll definitely change a lot 
in my in my game and my in my mindset as well. So, well, you were like the you're the forefather of uh, of what we see today. I mean, you you weren't the the prototypical squash player of your generation. You you played uh, like a, more of an offense, like a real offensive sort of shot maker type game, more so than you know even the guys who were shot makers when that you were playing. Yeah, it just, you know, as I said to you, like that's that's the whole thing about how your brain works. And I feel like when you try to work less physically, you're trying to work more with your brain. And now I think the game is getting to where I'm very, very interested in because when the game was super fast and it's hard to push the player all the time and just hit and hit, hit, hit and run, hit and run, it wasn't fun enough. And now it's kind of tempering down again where the player is like saying, okay, because the amount of events we play we can't do that all the time. We can't just run around like headless chicken, hitting the ball and waiting for the other guy to make a mistake. We got to have to play some shots. And, uh, and it gets me super interested in this because this is when the strategic part comes in and a tactical, the tactical issue come, you know, the tactical matches. I, I can't watch squash the same people. Like a lot of people watch the game. When I watch it live, I'm always kind of mind is buggled because I can't, I'm always watching little details I'm always breaking it down into like milliseconds. So it's kind of like, it's hard for my brain to watch it because I'm watching from a strategic standpoint and a movement standpoint. So it makes it a lot, a lot harder. I'm almost, I'm almost like um, dissectify the game, every game. So I'm seeing it way more than everybody. That is sometimes I just need some time to actually watch one match. So it takes me, a, it takes me a few hours to break down one, one, one match at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. which, is, which is very good now, yeah. yeah but uh, just in terms of your career, uh, you know, you've like you said, you've beaten all the all the top players in the world. You won the U.S. Open, but one uh, one guy, and I, uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but uh, world number one that you had a lot of success was with your countryman uh, Kareem Darwish. I mean, you you seem to get the better of him, especially uh, when you were in your you know playing well uh, several times in succession. So. Uh, I mean, Kareem was an absolute legend. Uh, had such a great style, such a great approach to the game. Had, you know, just about every every shot imaginable. But what was it about uh, playing him that enabled you to have uh, such a more success, maybe than most other players? Well, I think you know the the thing that helped me a lot with Darwish. Darwish was a very good practice player, and I've always practiced with him. He plays he practices as a same density as every match he plays. The guy was the, I would say the world champion and the world number one in practice by far. Wow. No one practices better than this guy. Hmm. Very professional, very, very invested in, in every practice session. So I was lucky because when I practiced with him, I got comfortable playing his game. You don't want to practice with me too long because if you practice with me too long, if I lose to you once, the next time I assure you that it will be very, very hard for you to beat me because I process things a lot faster when, 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 when I, when, when it's not happening my way. So I was just lucky to process his game in a way where it became natural to me to play him. It wasn't unnaturally. There's some players you can, you know, you can see that they match well with each other. I just just want that. I mean, you said something really interesting there. Um, the way that when you lose, you process the game differently and you're able to take something out of that. I mean, that, that's, that's something that's gold right there. Uh, is that something like, like maybe 
you would be able to pass on to to a guy like Diego. He he seems to. I mean, he's we we all know uh, how talented he is, but sometimes he gets a bit down on himself. Is that something uh, that you can try to transfer yeah, to? Yeah, for him? sure. It, it, it's a lot of the new generation. Actually, it's not only Diego. It's just the uh, the whole new generation is there. Always expectations to be perfect all the time, and they just need to be a little bit acceptance of being vulnerable sometimes, and it's okay. You know, they don't have to be pointed at when they lose the match. Hey, you did bad because you lost the quarterfinals. Hey, you didn't win that event. That means you're a bad player. That's the problem that it's – and the coaching is all about trust. A good coach is a coach that celebrates with you, right? Is A good coach is the one that takes the loss and be like, okay, you know, I think you did a lot of great things, but this is what we need to do in order for us to win the next match. And don't expect that we're not going to lose again. But I'm not, I'm not in your corner just to – hold the trophy next to you and the photo and put it on social media. I'm the guy that, you know, you'll be in the dark room after and you'll be in the darkest, deepest times of your life. And I'll be the one to give you the hand and say, Hey, let's get up and do the work. And, 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 and these are the, as you said, like, this is the best times to work when players understand that the loss is not a fearful thing. You lose a lot of things in your life and you lose people that you love the most, but what great things about this is you get great memories from it is, you know, and the great memory you have from a loss is what we really need to keep is what have you done good losing the match. And when you start working with those, you making that memory better the next time you're making it a better experience the next time you play. So that is, that's what I learned a lot from losing and, and processing a little bit better than just being too hard on himself. It took me a while to get rid of that. And as you said, like, as you said, like my job is now to try to transfer that to players and try to make them feel like this is uh this is, this is what you have to do. Don't be ashamed of losing because every great player lose, everybody loses, but they have to know what good you've done and what could have you done better and then try it again next time. And if it doesn't work, hey, this is still good. You're, you're back at it trying. Yeah. You didn't just quit. You didn't just go in a room and cry tears. No. Go enjoy your life. Enjoy that you're becoming an athlete. Enjoy the sport that you do. There's a lot of people out there that they would love to be in your shoes. Yeah. You just need to embrace it. That's all. No, no I interrupted you. So you were you were saying how that how that process allowed you to to – to, to get good results against Kareem, basically, through the practice set. It, 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 it is. And actually, there's a lot of players that were very close to me in the top 10. I would tell you, there's a lot of players who would not want to practice with me for more than three days in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the fourth day, um, there's a big chance I'm, I'm taking that one. <laughs> yeah. So, so it just, it just, <laughs> it just the resilience and, uh, and you know, it's like it's like the guys they keep knocking out and they keep standing up. They keep knocking out and they keep standing up. You know, the one thing I probably learned from my family and my dad and mom is just, you know, no matter how hard you get beat, you know, you gotta just, you know, you gotta get up and do it. You know, you gotta get up and do it. Don't just stay on the ground. And uh, and and that, that that's really the 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 whole thing about life is like, you know, we got beat up in everything we do in our life every day. You just have to get up and go again i mean i'm sure you've got difficulties in your job and i'm sure you got difficulties you wake up sometimes and you feel like yeah i really don't want to go you know no i I, a really close friend uh, like a mentor of mine once told me and i I forget what it was i brought to him but uh, he just said jerry stop feeling sorry for yourself 
you know. Yeah, exactly. If you if you just start feeling sorry for yourself, it's not going to do anything but just push you back. So you just, uh, as a matter of fact, if you're a fighter, I'm a fighter. Everybody's a fighter by nature. We're all fighters. Yeah. Um, then uh, also, uh, Whale, in 2007 and eight, uh, you credit uh, working with uh, the uh, the legend uh, Jonah Barrington for having uh, brought you to uh, to new heights in the game. I think uh, something related to the fitness routine that maybe he helped to implement, amongst other things. But uh, uh, you know, just briefly, uh, what were what was that like working with Jonah? I mean, uh, I've had uh, Joey on, and uh, you know, we I've talked quite a bit about Jonah and all the wild stories about you know training with big logs on it you know running around uh stadiums with logs on his shoulders and, and uh, i don't know what what did he get you doing that that brought you to uh that next level uh, jonah is a leader is a leader by example yeah. you know it, it's so hard to go just live with a guy for a week and understand that a guy in that age does what he does every day it puts it puts a lot of things to perspective in your mind and i think he made me understand what life is about and and and, and the discipline of everything you do and how can you be acceptance of that uh, the advice and the stories he used to tell me and and how he wakes up before everybody in the morning how he how he makes you feel like whatever you do i'm doing it with you even though i'm 40 years older than you or 35 years older than you he's like it means nothing is what you wake up to do every and i remember there was some days when when he had some health problems and and the doctor came and we were there and the doctor was telling him that you can't do anything you have to stay in bed for weeks and he literally cursed at the doctor and just said i need you to get out because he said i ain't gonna do that you can kiss that you know you can whatever you want to say to me i'm gonna do it so he was committed to he had a a reason for life and he had a a message to deliver to everybody that is it's not about how talented you are it's not about how good you are in anything it's about how can you wake up every day and do the same thing mm-hmm. and, and he added that to me i i would i never had that part you know, I always took things for granted and I always said, because my hands were good or I have the shots or I have this or I have that, I can get away with it. And he just taught me a lot more about life than, and how to handle myself and how to be grateful for everything I have. And, uh, and obviously pushing me physically and telling me that, you know, this is what you have to do and you're not going to go to bed before you finish it and hold me accountable to it. You know, as a professional, there's no one... But the people that, that, you know, that are cared for you is the people that hold you accountable. A lot of people take that as if it's a, it's a bad thing. So if I'm training you, Gary, right now, and, and you come and you do one thing and I tell you, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what needs to be done. And tomorrow, don't come without doing it. Some people take that as, as, as like, oh, he, he's just a mean guy. I don't like him. He's not nice. That's the people that care about you, that tell you things straight yeah. and hold you accountable to things. And, 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 and that's really what he taught me. He made me accountable for everything I had to do. And, and I'm grateful for life for him. He changed me not as only as a squash player, but changed me as a man. So. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine uh, 
how you must the experience of having spent that time with him and learning that. I mean, those are life lessons, aren't they? It just, it just defines who you are and just really more, you know, squash is a game of life. You're sometimes can almost see the personality of a on court and, uh, and, and almost if they're rational, if they're like, you know, heated people or if they're like calm or if they're like too calm, if they're not competitive, you can almost tell that the way they play. And, 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 and one of the people that will be like giving you straight, like, Hey, I don't care what you're like. If you want to get better, this is what you have to do. And this is what you have to do. You have to change yourself. And, and it's not very easy for a person to change themselves when they think they're right. Every one of us go to yeah. bed at night thinking that they're right. So you got to have someone in your life as a mentor to tell you, as, as your mentor told you, hey, don't feel sorry for yourself. A lot of people would ha not have the guts to say that because they feel that you're going to maybe reject them or maybe you're not going to be friends or you're going to get upset. But let me tell you, Jonah is one of the guys in your life is if you meet him and you don't walk straight, he'll tell you you're not walking straight. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, just one more thing. I've not, uh, I mean, I've got you here and you, you have the, this, uh, your club in uh, uh, Florida and it's a squash club, but it also has tennis courts, paddle, pickleball, I, I think is, is that right? Paddle and pickleball. And uh, one of the uh, podcast topics I've had on, on uh, recently is just sort of about growing the game and what, and uh, sort of how we're all amazed at the growth of sports like pickle and and paddle so you know having you know there you see it firsthand you've got all all of these uh, racket sports under one roof uh i'm just wondering what your from your perspective how do you uh, see things in terms of the growth of squash as compared to pickle and paddle uh, it, it, that, that would take hours to talk about but but, no, but I, I just think again it's it's about being accessible and making it easier to play um a lot of people, when they describe squash, they make, we always post the professionals playing. And I think it's part of the problem that we're having is we're not really exposing the regular play a lot to people and the professional play, you know. Squash is a, is a game that has not been accessibly easier for a lot of people to see that how easy it is to play. And when we show it, we show the hardest level of it. So how can we make this work and make it more accessible when, when, when you can't, you feel like it's impossible to do it? You know, I've had people that had just come through the door to try it. And since they try it, they never stopped. Yeah. You got to have the accessibility to do so. A lot of people do not that accessible enough because of of trying to make it into a club or a private community or some somewhere in terms of of it's it's it makes it almost an investment before trying it so people are always worried about investing in a sport before trying it instead of trying it after and then you invest so that is the thing that we're trying to do here in florida we're trying to and in our club here, we're trying to do it where people can just experiment the sport. You don't have to commit to nothing. You just have to come try it. And if you like it, you can join. If you don't like it, you don't need to join. 
and you can have to you know you, you get better at it so quick but you gotta have to let people take a racket and go try first yeah pickleball has done that pickleball is a public sport so when through the pandemic it helped them because there was a lot of shortage in tennis balls and people couldn't get access to tennis equipment so they had to figure out there was an opportunity for a market for a different sport. So we got a plastic ball, a couple of rackets, and we end up playing. And that shows that the sport grew so much because of an opportunity. There was not a lot of equipment. Tennis balls were very scarce at that moment. There was not a lot of them. So people start to figure out, well, I'm a tennis player, and I can't get a tennis court, and I can't play tennis because I can't get tennis balls. And they started playing pickle. And it turns out to be a fun game and it just took off. And it's the same thing if squash needs to do the same thing. It just needs to be accessible more for people to play it and try it or they invest in it. We always, and, and we have to televise some of the recreational play. We have to actually start promoting that a little bit more instead of promoting Ali Farah playing full call. I mean, for somebody that never tried the game, they look at this, they're like, Dude, that's going to stop my heart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, I mean, they did have it, uh, what was it, on uh, Netflix, the, the the program, The Queen's Gambit. Did, did you see yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the two girls were playing squash. And uh, I think a lot of girls or a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, squash, you know, stuff stuff like that. And they, they just made it look fun. We just needed to make it look fun instead of making it look super hard and challenging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 so hard when you when you when you show two people just picking up a, a forty minute game, getting every ball back. You thinking this is the level you need to play. So you're like, oh my god, my heart is gonna stop. And a lot of people actually tend to use that sometime at terminology when they play squash. They promote well, yeah, especially in the US. Sometimes the squash is pretty hard. You know, it's a very hard sport. No, it's not. Yeah, that's the stereotype, isn't it? Uh, squash is, oh, it's very hard. It's very, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's actually a very easy sport to learn. And I'm witnessing this every day because I started a startup program and I know a player that never touched the racket to, to, for, a, for a year worth of work. How can they get from nothing to something? And I'm one of them. I started when I was 13 years old. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's old so for, for it's really an easy sport. You just have a good dedicated person that accepts you as it is and actually open the door for you and say here's some rackets go and play yeah that's all we need and and i think if we do this in in what we're trying to do right now more people are now trying to do it so i think if if they do that it will be uh squash will grow a lot more than pickleball but we just need accessibility as you said Keep it going. Keep up the good fight. Well, uh, really, really appreciate your time. We, we've well over an hour here, and I know the the podcast, uh, the listeners will will enjoy this one. All the best with uh, with Diego, with Amanda, with your players, and at your club, and to you and your family as well. Thank you so much, Gary. Same to you. And, uh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure being being on this podcast with you as well. Well, wasn't that amazing? Well, El Hindi, he showed up huge today. I really want to thank him for his time. We chatted for a little over an hour there, and we covered all sorts of ground. The stuff on pickle and paddle there at the end was fascinating, and it comes, again, from firsthand knowledge. Uh, Wales uh, managing a club with both pickle, paddle, tennis. 
uh, with all of those sports, uh, uh, obviously including squash. And uh, also want to wish him all the best with his, uh, you know, working with uh, Amanda and Diego, both of whom, as we all know, are extreme talents and made some, I think, some big steps there in the World Championships. Came up a little bit short, but I think we're going to see more positive uh, progress from them uh, going forward. So really appreciate Whale. Thanks uh, to him for his time today on the podcast. And thanks, everybody, uh, for listening. I'm going to keep this short but sweet. We've got some, hopefully really good ones coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Again, as I like to say, I don't want to spill the beans just yet, just uh, in case things don't fall, uh, things don't come together. But uh, yes, I'm hoping for a couple of uh, really, really uh, great episodes upcoming in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for those. All the best to all of you. Good luck with your squash. And we'll be talking to you very soon. Goodbye now.